Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast. We'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, along with my co-host and business partner, Charles Dehart. And uh, today's show, guys, we're going to be sharing the stage with two mobile home park investors who are fairly new to the business, being that they bought their very first park less than one year ago today, but who are absolutely crushing it and have acquired three parks to date, totaling 652 rentable lots. These two rock stars go by the name of Ryan Neris and Ian Tudor and are based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And today we're going to dig deep into their business and learn how they went from struggling new investors to owning a portfolio worth in excess of $13 million in literally less than a year. It's crazy. So before we dig into Ryan and Ian's story, I'd like to go through a quick uh, few updates with you guys real quick. First and foremost, if you've been listening in for the past couple of weeks, then you'll know that we've uh, we've just we've been setting some huge lofty goals over here at Sunrise Capital Investors, which is our investment arm of our business. And uh, we're in growth mode now. We're acquiring a lot of parks, raising a lot of capital. But the reason why I tell you this is we can't do it alone, guys. We can't do it alone. We'd like to acquire 10,000 rentable lots in the next five years. And we are looking to bring on basically talented staff. We're looking to bring on talented individuals that want to work alongside us, want to work with us, grow into our team and build something this very special together. So we have created an apprenticeship program that we're going to be rolling out. I thought we'd be rolling it out um, last week, but it should be coming out this week. Keep a, keep an eye on our website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com and just keep, a, just keep an ear open to this podcast as well. We'll let you know as soon as it rolls out. But we want you, if, if you're someone that wants to get into this business, um, you're sharp, you're hungry, and you're a hustler, we want to talk to you because we'd love to potentially bring you on our team and have you help us grow our business and make it a win-win relationship for everyone involved. So again, keep your eyes and ears open about this apprenticeship program that we're creating here. Uh, it should be rolled out here in the next week or so. Uh, next up, guys, if you're an accredited investor and you're looking for passive income and you like this investment niche, I'm assuming that you probably... You, you, you like it a little bit, this investment niche, mobile home park investing, if you're actually listening to the show. And so if you have an interest in this niche and you have an interest in placing some capital and, and getting some good return on your money with a proven team that has a proven track record, then you need to check out our opportunity by going to sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We're currently looking for partners that want to grow with us, grow with our team. We currently have six parks in contract today, and uh, we'd love to work with you. We'd love to chat with you about our opportunity. So again, you can learn more about that by going to sunrisecapitalinvestors.com, or you can call us directly at 888-260-9455. And, and lastly, guys, uh, we're based in Clearwater, Florida, so we're in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Charles and I love meeting others that share a passion for this business or just real estate investing in general. So if you find yourself in the Tampa Bay area, whether it's for work or pleasure and you have some free time, please look us up. Uh, you can shoot me an email directly. Um, actually, Charles and I email directly, mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. And uh, we'll try to coordinate our schedules and get together while you're in town. So guys, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ryan Naris and Ian Tudor to the show. Guys, how you doing today? Great. 
Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys are you guys are just, you, you guys are going crazy right now, right? I mean, you guys are, you guys are buying up a frenzy and um, I'm excited to dig into it. You guys have made a lot happen in such a short period of time. And, and Charles, do I have you here yet? Charles, are you here with us? I th- yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Good now. deal. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so Charles, I want to, what I really like to do with, with Ryan and Ian today is I really want to dig into um, kind of their, their background, how they got into this business, because um, I know, uh, Charles, you, you probably spoke with them the first time about two years ago uh, when they were just trying to get into this business, try to crack into it, try to you know leave the corporate rat race. And um, I know, uh, I, I believe it was, and I'm probably going to mix the two up, uh, Ryan and Ian. One of you guys were just finishing up school. The other one was working in the corporate field, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. And you guys were just you're young and hungry and, and looking to make things happen. And that was just a few short years ago. And literally in the past year, you guys have bought three parks totaling over 650 lots and they're just on fire. So um, if you would, each one of you, if you could just maybe take a few minutes a piece before we really dive into the meat and potatoes and, uh, and just tell us a little more about yourself, kind of, you know, what you did prior to mobile home park investing and then, you know, what got you interested in the niche and then, you know, kind of what brought you up to speed where you are today. And if you would, when you actually give an answer, when you speak, maybe if you could just, Say who you are. That way, we'll know who, who's actually talking. Yeah, uh, I'll go first. Uh, this is Ryan Neris here. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you guys for having us. It's a complete honor to be here. I haven't missed a podcast, and I have so much to thank y'all for because we learned especially a lot in the beginning from y'all. And so, in so many words, we're Kevin and Charles' disciples. So thank you guys. Uh, I don't know if that, having us. yeah, I, I, yeah, Charles, I think that that's, um, I don't know if uh, that's, that's cool or creepy disciples, that word, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys. We really appreciate it, man. That's awesome. You guys are yeah, kicking we, ass. Uh, well, we, Hey, I mean, not, I don't expect you to remember this, Kevin, but you and I, I do remember, I do remember phone calls, uh, way early on and, um, met, uh, Charles for lunch while I was at Wake Forest getting my MBA yeah, you guys have just been a great help to us. So we, we really owe you all a lot. So we're happy to, to give back in any way we can. But let me uh, just give a quick overview of who I am. Um, I was undergrad psychology major at Wake Forest University. Then I went into a career in sales, uh, won a couple of awards. Then I read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, realized that sales would not give me the lifestyle that I wanted. Then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I realized that real estate and passive investment was probably the way to go. But I still didn't have any idea what that would be or what that would look like. So I realized sales wasn't the answer. I went back to Wake Forest University to get my MBA. I concentrated in business analytics statistics, secondary concentration in operations and marketing. So quite literally everything but finance. So that was a big hole in my game. Met Ian Tudor, do, or, well, we met during childhood. We were childhood friends, but reconnected while I was down in Miami, and he was in Orlando during my internship, and we both quickly realized we have a huge passion for reading books, and we would be great business partners, and we just decided, hey, look, we're going to be in business together in some way, shape, or form. We both have that entrepreneurial spirit. What should we do? And very quickly, Ian was like, hey, what do you think about mobile home parks? And I was like, all I know about mobile home parks is the show Trailer Park Boys, which I'm totally (laughs) obsessed with. So uh, I was like, yeah, let's take a look at it. He showed me the financials, showed me Frank and Dave, uh, quickly read through all the materials, and I was sold. 
So that was about two years ago and graduated with uh, my MBA, went to work for Wells Fargo for about a year in capital markets operations. So tried to cover up the financial hole in my game, so to speak, and operations. And then just once a day, every day, do a little bit of mobile home park work. And uh, eventually, boom, here we are, three parks uh, sold, or uh, purchased rather. And I got to say thank you to Wells Fargo and and the corporate (laughs) life. And now I'm literally down in Atlanta, Georgia right now, being a physical property manager on one of the parks that we own, which actually is about a mile away from one of y'all's parks, which uh, I got a chance to go drive through and speak to the mayor and some of the city council folks about it. And they have lots of good things to say about y'all. Apparently y'all did an outstanding job turning that one around. So yeah, so that's me. Ian, do you want to jump in? Sure. So I'm Ian Tudor. Uh, basically kind of my background, Ryan kind of, you know, gave a good overview of how we met and how we started our business. So I, I graduated from, from junior tech and finance. Finance was kind of my passion. I went into, I worked for an insurance company for, uh, it was a financial development role. I didn't quite click there. However, I did meet a mentor there that opened my eyes to real estate. So I bought my first house when I was at 23 years old, rented it out to a few people, lived rent-free for a little bit. I realized that real estate was something that I was really passionate about. So I connected with the people that I knew. I landed a job in Orlando working for a Class A office REIT, which is kind of like the big boys. In my mind, I thought I knew a little bit about real estate because I bought a house and I was pleasantly surprised that there's a lot to real estate when it comes to institutional capital and realizing just the amount of analysis and valuation that went there. So I learned a huge amount in about two and a half years there. Um, And then in terms of getting into mobile home parks, I always, after I bought my first house at 23, I wanted to look a little bit deeper to see if I could have some other passive income. So I looked around in Orlando for some more houses. For whatever reason, I couldn't find a deal that really made sense to me. I jumped up, looked at flipping houses, almost did one or two of those. Then I started looking at mobile homes when then, my roommate at the time was like, why don't you buy the whole park? And I never really considered that. I looked a little deeper. We tried to launch a venture with my old roommate at the time. Uh, it didn't quite work out uh, for various reasons. And then I revisited it with Ryan. And so here we are today, two years later, uh, uh, rock and rolling and hopefully going to add a few more parks this year. That's awesome, guys. And uh, real quick before we move on, I you know you brought up the mayor there in the city of Lovejoy, where you guys just bought your most recent park. And um, I know what my first impression was when I met that guy. Please tell me your first impression. So, and just so you know, so I can paint a picture for those that are listening. <laughs> this guy was about three hundred fifty pounds, had a handlebar mustache, and he was bald, and he had guns hanging on his office uh, wall, and he had like a stuffed fox. It was the most intimidating meeting I've ever gone into, especially knowing that we were about to buy a park that was across from his office that he hated with a passion he had been trying to shut down for years. So my first impression of him was like, oh, gosh, this guy's going to make our lives a living hell. And he just looked mean and angry. So tell me your first impression. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, yeah. this is Ryan. I, I think you. I was going to say in two words, power stash. Yeah. But I think you already took <laughs> the thunder from that. But So uh, Ian got a chance to meet him first, but and told me a little bit about what to expect. And that's still, (laughs) even if you know what to expect from this guy, 
it still catches you off guard. So I was with one of the council women, and she goes, oh, look, there's the mayor's car, because we were at City Hall. And out of nowhere, this dude in his giant suburban comes in, parks Ill- <laughs> illegally, but it's okay because he's the mayor, right? It takes up like two or three spots, jumps out of the car. He's big, tall guy, too. Bald, serious Civil War mustache, <laughs> uh, arms crossed, and he just goes, I'm buying a couple trailers in your park. And I was just like, yes, sir? Yeah. <laughs> Ian, what about this? Yeah, I've had very similar experiences. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things. I mean, you guys kind of touched on all of it, but he definitely is intimidating at first. And he was when we first sat down in his office, he was kind of like impressed me. That was that was the vibe I got from him. <laughs> it's like, what are you what are you guys gonna do for me and Lovejoy? And then once you get to know him, he's actually a really friendly, nice guy, and you know, really willing to help where he is once you get to know him. But at, that first impression, he is kind of like a gunslinger. It feels like, um, but all in all, it's been a great. I mean, been a great relationship so far. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it. You know, I don't want to talk about this too. We can move on here, but uh, our first meeting, uh, he basically sat down the chief of police, the code enforcement officer, and a few of the other staff members, and he said, "If you guys buy that park, you're going to be wasting your money because I've been trying to shut that down for years. And if you buy it, I'm going to work even harder to shut it down." <laughs> I said, "Oh gosh, okay, well, fair enough. I, we'll prove you wrong, but just give us time." And uh, and we did, and uh, he's really happy now. So it was an interesting uh, scenario and, and interaction with that dude. But uh, yeah, Bobby's a good guy. So uh, Ian, I want to talk to you. I mean, you're the one that kind of uh, introduced Ryan to to mobile home parks, and you talked a little bit about kind of how you were introduced to the niche by, I guess your 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 old roommate kind of said, "Hey, why mobile homes? Why not mobile home parks?" But I'm sure you probably looked at other types of investments as well. I mean, you know, when you started thinking mobile home parks in a bigger scale, I mean, did you go down the road of looking at other types of commercial real estate, apartment buildings, and or self storage or anything else? And if so, why did you end up landing back on mobile home parks? Yeah, so I was uh, I was probably 24, 25 at the time when I started to look into that, and that was yeah, that's a great question. So I. I just remember I was looking for passive income and that was about the time where I had this giant, I had this giant AC issue at my single family home, which pretty much wiped out cash flow for like three, three or four months. I forgot how much it was, Oof. but it was a pain. It was a painful enough experience that I realized that scale was important in real estate because at that point in time I was, you know, things were going quite well. And then I was, thinking if this continues to happen, if you have this a couple times a year, uh, then you're just going to continuously have negative cash flow months, which wasn't obviously the point of getting into it. So once I, once I started looking at the mobile home park, it, it stuck pretty hard. Once I started looking at it, I bought the informational packet from Frank and Dave. I read into it quite a bit and it just made a lot of sense at that point in time. So I didn't look at other forms of real estate. Ryan and I have looked at other forms of real estate since now that we've been in business for about two years. However, nothing really comes. I think the the supply constraint on mobile home parks and just the fact that it's so hard to move these homes from the lots is just something that other forms of real estate just aren't able to replicate, yep. uh, which makes it very attractive. And also, too, just the fragmentation of the industry. It feels like we're in a really good opportunity to gobble up quite a few of these and really get some scale, whereas maybe apartments or self-storage, which have already had that consolidation, or more so than mobile home parks, it feels like we still have an edge 
in the mobile home park space that mm-hmm. we definitely probably don't have in other forms of real estate. Yep. And I agree with all those points there. And so um, I want to talk about you guys first. You know, everyone kind of gets their foundation, their footing uh, on their first deal. And I know it took you guys, you know, about a year from the time that like, you really put your feet to the ground um, t- to get your first deal done, which is pretty typical. I mean, the deal cycle on these things can be quite long, especially if you're buying off market stuff. And so maybe speak to, uh, I want to talk about the first deal, some details of it, but more so I want to talk about leading up to that first deal. Like what kind of activities were you guys putting in motion as far as, I mean, talking to brokers, meeting with owners, doing direct mail, cold calling. How did you find that first deal? What, what, what did you have to do to get there? Yeah, so uh, this is Ryan. Let me uh, get us started, and then I'm going to hand the ball off to Ian. So first off, what Ian and I realized pretty early on was that we are going to be pretty capital strapped. I had more student loan debt than I had capital for deals. So I was 28 when we started. I'm 30 now. So we realized we're probably going to have to get creative if we're going to buy a $1.5 million property, right? And we're going to have to find the right people to partner with to make sure we don't get crushed in a bunch of different facets. So step one, however, the value in this industry is can you find the deals and not the deals where the mom and pop thinks that their property is worth a hundred million dollars when it's a 20 lot pad, right? Finding people who are much closer to market. So we literally, we got on the phone with Kevin, uh, with Charles and we built out our database. We started a mailer campaign. Can't quite boast the numbers that you guys do. Y'all are the Michael Jordan of mailers, but we try hard and we also hit the phones. Uh, my sales background cold calls and also brokers. And for whatever reason, Ian really, really resonated with a rock star broker and they're seriously like buddies. And she brought him a, our first opportunity. Ian, do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. So kind of give a little bit more color in general. Yeah. In September of 2015, Charles pretty much outlined the database strategy and then I just dumped hundreds of hours into getting us up to where we needed to be. We hired a VA and things like that. So literally followed your strategy, right? And and then started mailing off that. And we probably sent, Ryan, how many mailers have we sent now? Probably over I 2, could pull up by, more. yeah, well over 2,000. Right. So we sent over 2,000 mailers. And th- th- this is basically a lot of your strategy. I mean, we've adapted some things, but the overall structure is is – similar things that you've done also too with brokers that probably have a list of, I don't know, six or seven brokers within our footprint. So we're not as geographically diverse as you, you all, we were more just in the Southeast kind of with driving distance of Charlotte, but it kind of hit them constantly. So they're familiar with who I am. And so I just caught the right person at the right time. I think while a lot of people hear our story, and they're thinking, wow, look at all this, this deal value so early on. A lot of this was just luck and putting, being the right place at the right time and just being consistent with the process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, and I think that's more important than a dollar value or kind of the number of lots because opportunities will come to you if you just put in the time, you're consistent, and you just follow through with it for 
a year, two years, three years, uh, opportunities are going to come your way because other people aren't willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Basically, your own, you're, you are your own broker, right? And that's where we found a lot of the best opportunities. Uh, but this first one was calling up a broker and she was literally about to launch it. And we just connected, connected the two dots with someone else and was able to put in an offer on it right before I hit market. What do you think... What do you think positioned your relationship with that broker um, to where she literally gave you that lead before she plopped it out there to the open world? Uh, because more than likely, there at this point in the game, and maybe it wasn't that way a year ago, but it probably was. I mean, it's a good market that that park was in. It would have gone for full price, maybe even over what sh- what you guys picked it up for. I mean, based on people that are out there with silly money looking to buy, yeah. you know, properties and, and find yield. So, what do you think really positioned yourself to have that relationship with her that she handed you to basically a pocket listing? Yeah, I think the, one of the things that I've found. So, there's more established brokers in the industry who obviously have you know really deep list of people who are who are in the industry and who they've sold for years and years and sometimes decades. Those people are a little bit harder to get on their list. I mean, I've called some of those people and just fallen on deaf ears for months on end. Uh, and for, for whatever reason, it just, I've realized that my time isn't necessarily spent on that, but there are newcomers coming into the industry. So while there is a lot of buyers coming to the market, there's also new brokers coming to the market mm-hmm. as well. And I have found some success. There's a few in particular that I know of that are looking to connect with buyers and if they find really good opportunities early on, they don't really know as much like kind of the big players because they're just starting at their career out as well. And that was, I think, a similar scenario here where this this particular broker, she had a lot of experience, but for whatever reason, she gave me a chance. Uh, and part of it was just we had really good rapport, which I can't really tell someone how that happened, but <laughs> some of that stuff uh is a little bit beyond me, but uh, we had great rapport. Uh, she, she, and some of these other brokers that we're speaking to are earlier on in their game, and that allows us, I think, to have a little bit more meaningful of a conversation of a shot. Okay, you know, I think you make a really good I point. Think, uh, go, go ahead, Charles. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I want to jump back to. I mean, the so when you were when you guys were going through the databasing process, there was a lot of a lot of things that you adapted that were. Um, you know, really, really difficult strategies that you guys were able to pull off. I mean, one of the things that would make the databasing process a lot easier is if counties were to give you a list of all the mobile home parks in the county, which they, they keep that list at their office. But the biggest problem with that is that a lot of them either don't, they don't want to give it to you or they're, you know, the, the people that, uh, that manage those lists, it's usually on paper form. So they got to pull out a big binder and you got to sit there all day and copy it. And uh, I always thought that was one of the interesting adaptations. You guys were really, really good at getting those lists from counties, whereas we always tried, and I think we've only been successful a handful of times. Um, so I always thought that was a really interesting part of what, what you guys did with the database. Yeah, so. this is Ian. Yeah, that was Ryan's adaptation, and probably comes back <laughs> to the sales experience of things that he, he could kind of get things out of people that I, I personally couldn't as well, but he, he was the one who got majority of those lists. Yeah. 
Good deal. Well, I, I want to, um, if you guys, this is like a, like a 10,000 foot view of this first deal. So the, the broker brought it to you. Um, just maybe give us like a high level point of view, like what you, you know, how many lots it was, what you paid for it. And then where was the opportunity? Was it the opportunity in raising rents? Was there an opportunity in doing infill? Was it an operational turnaround? Yeah. Um, just, this the general details of it, if you would. Yeah. So it was a $1.5 million deal, about 89 lots, 57 of those were occupied so the real the real opportunity was in the fill up of the spaces so we are now getting started and kind of doing the cash program and selling off some of those homes for to fill that up it was pretty much at market rent but you know with mobile home parks there was still some there's there was still some room there uh and then also too we had to do I guess a pretty good sized capital project. The roads were, were shot. They just were not well taken care of. So we, we recently repaved those, but a lot of that had to do with kind of the vacancy, just the vacant paths, filling those up. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that, that large capital improvement on the front of the road, uh, or I guess you just did it recently. So you bought about a year ago. What, so 89 space park, did you guys repave the entire park uh, or just sections of it? Uh, it was, it was sections of it, but it was, okay. it was a good portion of the park. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's an expensive project for sure. And that, that's one of those things, Charles, I always really talk about, like, you really have to plan for that, like at, at the, at the stage of acquisition, like don't ever get into a park, especially that's got a really bad road. There's lots of parks that have incredibly bad roads in them. Um, and it's a very large capital expense. And it's one of those things I we, we sometimes see like new, uh, park investors that they buy a park or they're looking to buy a park and maybe the road repairs are going to cost them 50 grand. Um, and they don't have that 50 grand. So they're thinking, well, you know, I'll do it over time. I'll do it with cash flow and, uh, that big of a capital expenditure, especially when you're talking like a smaller park, you know, something that's 50 to hundred spaces, it's, it's going to pretty much, that pretty much eat up your cash flow for a long time. That's what your plan was. And you just got to plan for it ahead of time. Um, so this park here, so the market lot rent, so you guys are bringing the cash program in. How is the cash program going for you? Have you have you brought any homes in yet through the cash program uh, in this particular park? Uh, well, we we haven't yet, so that okay. should be starting within the next got few it. months. So we haven't uh, haven't experienced with that yet. Got it, got it. And Charles, it's funny. It, it it's amazing how um, how intimate this business is because uh, I know that that park was on our database, and I know that I've actually had my memory is really awkward. Like some like I'm really hard with like remembering someone's name, but then again, like I literally remember a conversation. And I'll remember a park just by looking at like an aerial. Like as soon as we figure out which guy, which park you guys bought, I remembered. I literally remembered the aerial the day I looked at it on like Google Earth, and so I, I can envision what it looks like. I remember talking to that owner. I believe this park, like he owned an apartment complex right next door to it, and he was a he was kind of a sophisticated guy, if I can remember correctly. And um, yep. and uh, we had a conversation with him. So like it's a you know it's it's all about the timing. Charles and I always talk about timing, right? I talked to that guy. I remember probably a couple times. He's in our database. He was in our CRM system and uh, he was just a little, he wasn't ready, really ready to sell when we talked to him. And he also was, his expectations for price were 
were were very high. They were over two million at the time when I when I had chatted with them, which is it just it it didn't work at that price. So, but the timing is everything in this business. Whatever happened in that guy's life, you know, what you guys came into it right time. Maybe he just liked you better than than me. I mean, seriously, there's so many different things that could have occurred that you guys got the timing right. You hit him at the right point in time when he was truly ready to execute, and that's why it's so incredibly important to keep consistent and persistent with your follow up efforts, whether it be cold calling, direct mail, dealing with brokers whatever it might be because you got to get the timing right that that you got to fit you got to find where that gap is and make sure that you're there to fit into it when they're ready to actually get rid of their property so uh charles anything else or go ahead sorry sorry bud yeah uh, this is ian basically i mean you hit the nail on the head it's a long-term sales game and if Mm -hmm. you do it as anything else then you're it's it is that's the best way to describe it right so to find deals uh, i know i talked to a lot of kind of new investors coming into the game who look on LoopNet, you know, like once a week or something like that. But if you really want to like get real success in this industry, it's just a long-term sales game and just persistent follow-up. And there'll be months where you feel like you're not getting anything there. And then all of a sudden you get a random phone call out of the blue. And we've gotten that before too, where they're like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, and there's momentum that you build as well. With, with those efforts you're putting in, there's momentum that, that gets built up, and it, and it literally pays you back over time. And so it's really front-loaded efforts, and you got to stay consistent with it. Once you get the front-loaded efforts in, you got to stay consistent, but those front-loaded efforts pay off years and years down the road. Uh, Charles, anything? Yeah, definitely. Or go ahead, go ahead. This is just Brian here. I, I want to interject with a little anecdote. Uh, when I was working at Wells, and I was waiting to jump on the light rail from all the way down in Pineville, North Carolina, down to the heart of downtown Charlotte. I remember this conversation waiting for the train to come with Ian, who had just left his job to do this full time for next to no money. I mean, huge leap of faith, which, Ian, I'd, I'd love it if you told a little, give a little bit more color to that. But I remember Ian having a lot of doubts because we basically just had the one park we were talking about and out of nowhere, not maybe half hour, hour later after that phone call, after I kind of motivated him to, Hey, kind of talk him off the ledge, so to speak. <laughs> Boom. Phone call from our second park, which was a mailer from several months <laughs> earlier. She wanted a ridiculous price. We gave her an offer. Didn't hear from her for months. Ian hit her back with a phone call. Then literally not but a couple hours after I tried my best to re-motivate Ian because it looked grim. She (laughs) called us out of nowhere and boom, we're under contract in a really short period of time. And that's happening right now with another lead that we thought was just dead. We met this guy in person, we had lunch with him, and he basically told me, I, all I have left is my daughter in this, this mobile home park. And out of nowhere, he texts me and he goes, okay, it's, it's time. And I think there's two points that I really wanna make here. Number one, you gotta keep pushing. If you want it, you have to keep pushing through the slow times because it is completely unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And number two, it is a long, long game. The La Costa Mobile Home Park down here in Lovejoy that we closed on, that was a cold call that Ian made June of 2016. So it took about 12 months from start, from first contact to closing. And that is not abnormal. 
and it does not follow a predictable trajectory. It is a roller coaster. You just have to, like Ian said at the beginning of the podcast, you have to put in a little effort each day. Consistency and effort will reward you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm actually sitting, and I'm in Pennsylvania right now as we record this. We have a parking contract uh, in, in my hometown, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, we've been at this one. My first sit-down meeting with them was July of last year, in-person meeting. And uh, we had it under contract shortly after, and then a sister, it's, it's three siblings that, that basically are running it, or well, well, one's running it, but three make the decision to either sell or keep, and uh, a sister that's not involved at all kept, you know, started throwing wrenches into the uh, the equation, and this thing literally has drug out for more than a year. We are in contract. We are literally moving towards a closing date. We're all settled, got all the issues out of the way with the sister, um, but it's it's so unpredictable. That thing has been a roller coaster ride, but I, and, and we literally lost it technically lost it like two different times because the sister was out shopping it and getting higher offers and like literally going to industry brokers. I mean, she was like doing her best to like just foil all my plans <laughs> of buying this property. And, um, and, and the, the persistence aspect is so, so important because if I had just let it go for an extra like week or two or a month, this thing would have been in someone else's hands right now. So uh, you, you just got you got to keep pushing forward, even even when it's tough, even when it's challenging. Got to keep pushing forward. So I want to talk about and Charles. Any any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the same things happened. I think the the first deal I actively partnered on was twenty three months, right around twenty three months after I got uh, started with my database, um, and I kind of experienced a lot of the same things that Ian probably went through. So. I definitely get it. It it takes uh, it takes however long it takes, and it usually seems to be a year for the for, yeah. the for a guy jumping into the industry for the first time and really getting started. And you know, from the from the day you decide to put in that big effort, just mark your calendar a year later. That's probably yep. when it's going to happen for you. Yep. No, I, th- I think that's a good time frame. I mean, even big brokerage shops. I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day from Cushman and Wakefield. He just getting his start in that business. And that's one of the big brokerage firms. Um, any of those big brokerage firms, it's all commission. You come in as like an associate broker or maybe not even that. I don't know what, whatever their, their labels are, but I mean, you got to establish your market, your niche, get your name out there. Like you, they pretty much tell you like expect 12 to 18 months, if not more before you get a paycheck. If you can't handle that, this is not the right business for you. But if you can handle that, it can be life-changing. So kind of the same thing applies to this or any other type of real estate you're going to get into. I mean, you got to give it a year. It's not going to happen overnight. Forget about the late night infomercials that say that you can get rich in 60 days. You know what? One of you guys might get really lucky out there and literally just might get the timing right and find a super motivated seller that's going to throw their park your way for next to nothing in 60 days. That might happen, but more than likely, probably give it a year because these deal cycles can be quite long. Can be quite long. So, I want to talk to you guys about the um, the importance of strategic partnerships. I know that you guys have you partnered on your first deal. Um, I believe that you guys uh, did your second deal on your own. Correct. Correct. That's correct. correct. Okay. And then your third one, you did another strategic partnership with a larger operator. Um, just talk to me in, in in general terms. Talk to me about how that strategic partnership, I mean, how it was helpful for you guys? Like what, what didn't you have, like what couldn't you bring to the table that that strategic partner could bring? And, um, you know, why did you decide to go down that path rather than just doing maybe some smaller deals on your own that you could handle on your own? So if I could start this, this is Ryan. And then again, uh, Ian, I'm going to hand the football off to you. I think there's 
kind of a, a Democrat versus Republican type way of looking at business partnerships. And I think there are a lot of great valid points with good data and experience backing up why you should not have a business partner. And the equal but opposite of that, which is lots of reason why you should have a business partner. So Ian and I, we partnered up and we realized a lot of reasons why we are meant to have a business partnership together and formed our own entity and split everything 50-50. I think one of the biggest things is we disagree extraordinarily well. We can yell and scream and also be very, very rational and at the end of the day, be good friends. We also practice radical transparency. I tell him things that my wife is like, why the heck did you tell him that? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a friendship that's extremely strong, but it's also, a, it's just when times are tough, it's really nice to be able to pick up the phone and have someone to talk to that's going through exactly what you're going through in real time and you're doing it together so long as like i said probably the of a whole slew of reasons why a business partnership for me makes sense and for ian makes sense is disagreeing well and then when it comes to strategic partnerships ian why don't you take the ball with this yeah so i i think that if we if we zoom back a little bit kind of take the ten thousand foot view you you got uh first ask yourself, what do you want from this business? So there's a lot of ways you can take this business, right? Are you looking for retirement income? Are you looking for maybe having some money to for your kid's college fund? Are you looking to have a 5,000 lot you know, fund? There's a lot of ways you're trying to go public. Just want to be an active or passive investor. That's something that you kind of have to ask yourself early on. And Ryan and I knew we wanted a large enterprise. So one of the things that we decided to do with some of these partnerships was if we have an opportunity that's large, why would we pass on that? Let's find every way possible to be a part of that, even if we have to give up some of the upside or give up control or whatever that is, we, we view it as a deal with training wheels. So someone who's an experienced operator, one of the things that we found fascinating with that is they had systems in place that we could then adopt and, and adapt to our own style similar to what we did with the deal sourcing strategy that you guys have given to us. Mm -hmm. So we found it like it really flattened out our learning curve a lot. And we were able to be a part of deals that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to be a part of. One of the things that Ryan and I, our biggest challenge is that we don't have a lot of capital. We don't come from a lot of money. Our family hadn't invested in any of our deals and our friends haven't as well. So this is just through networking and working with you know people who have been interested and who are already in the space. So we viewed it as a deal with the training wheels, mm-hmm. right? And so over time, that would allow us to then do deals on our own. Also, too, it gives us a little bit more reputation and track record. As you know, when you're raising capital, that's extremely important. Being kind of by association, being with people who have had a lot of success, who are well-known, it helps us kind of get to where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that, that's, that's great advice. And, um, <clears throat> you, you mentioned one point there about not having friends and family to go to. And I will tell you that it's actually probably, you guys are probably, there's a little bit of a relief as well. And I, maybe you don't feel that because you, you didn't go that route, but I, I would say that I, I try to avoid even approaching friends or family. Like I, I n- n- for no other reason than 
not to intertwine in the business, right? And uh, we do have some some friends and family involved in some of our deals, but I think that you guys took the smart path and just really you went out and you built your network because really that network's going to carry way farther than your friends and family would. And now, unless you came from like a super wealthy family that you know is worth fifty million dollars, that's a different story. But uh, in a normal sense, your network's going to carry you. It's going to carry you to the touchdown way way faster than than friends or family would. So. Plus, you don't have to have. Another, plus, you don't have, you don't have to have awkward Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinner table conversations. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I interrupted. Yeah, I guess one of the other things. I'd, yeah, yeah I guess one of the other things I'd like to add. You know, when you talk about, um, you know, obviously there's there's a few people that get into it just to just to buy a couple of parts, and then there's a, there's a very select few uh, who get into it to build a big a big business. And one of the things that that we've been um, discussing a lot more now that uh, me and Kevin and Brian have, we're, we're starting to hit our initial financial goals and the goals for our family is we're starting to look at what the goals are for our company when we start to look at building a big business. I think that's important when you're in these early stages to look at what the goals for the company are as far as your social responsibility as a company. So, you know, that's some of the things that we've been looking at now that we're building a big business because there's a lot of big companies out there um, in our space too that don't, they don't do the best job at, at their social responsibility as well. And uh, it's one of the things that we've, uh, we've started to put together and I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's part of the learning curve when you, when you go from uh, being a smaller operator and then looking to be a big operator is how do you fit? Uh, in with the industry. So mm-hmm. I think that's also an interesting thing to, to look at when you're looking at your business and growing. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. This is Ian. I wanted to add a little bit more color to that because I've had this conversation with a few of our investors as well as, you know, just mentors and people that we've spoken with. And one of the things that, you know, to give a little bit more color to that is so if you want to do only a few deals, and say you don't have the money to do it, your investment partner should have a similar time horizon as you. So if you're looking for investment money uh, for a retirement income, you should buy a deal that gets you that gets you what you need there, right? So, and also too, if you're looking to scale a monster portfolio, it's probably better to centralize your investment partners than to have 35 different investment partners because if you wanted to put that all to a fund, then you have 35 different people that you need to renegotiate with to put those properties into a fund if you wanted to go that route. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all those things and also just your financing options too. If you're So we found a bank that's very eager and looking forward to do mobile home park deals. And so you know they just approved a loan for us on a deal that we should be closing next week uh, you know, in less than two weeks. So these types of relationships help us make it much more efficient for us to run our operations. And then later on down the road, maybe we'll package a couple of those parks in a loan and things like that. So starting to think about those things earlier rather than later uh, allows you to be more flexible, which is extremely important in real estate, especially when the market isn't as optimistic as it it would be today. Uh, You want to have as many options on the table as possible. Yep, absolutely. And I, I know, guys, uh, it, it's really cha- financing can be quite challenging in this business. And um, would you mind sharing that one bank that you mentioned that uh, that you guys are having good success with? Because I think, especially on smaller deals, relationships are everything. It sounds like you've got a little bit of a relationship built with them already, and they understand parks to a certain extent. Um, would yeah, you mind, sure. Do you guys mind sharing uh, which one that is? Or 
Yeah, sure. So it's Integra Bank. It's in Western North Carolina. So they have a pretty small footprint, uh, but okay. they, so they're in Western North Carolina. They're also in uh, kind of the Charlotte region uh-huh. as well in South Carolina. And I think they, I think they're expanding to a few other markets as well. Uh, but those are, they've been very, very eager to lend uh, with us and that's I've been great. Very happy with that relationship. That's so great. Well, far. there you go, everyone that's listening. If you're in North Carolina, or I guess it sounds like even parts of South Carolina, if, uh, if you've got a park that you're looking at, and uh, you know, it's funny because we've got a park in South Carolina on Columbia that we've been having a big challenge getting finance. I think we're we're there now, but uh, Integra is not one of the banks that we had spoken with, and so it's uh, there's so many of these smaller community banks, you know spread throughout these these various states and um it's hard to figure out which ones get it because 90 percent of them don't get this business they don't get it they don't understand it the programs that they're going to give you are going to be just horrible you know really low loan to values short amortization terms and they don't really most of them just value parks or they look at parks as like land they don't even consider that it has it's got an income stream attached to it which blows my mind but it's just that they don't get the business which is uh which is fair enough because honestly i Eight years ago, I didn't understand the business either, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, well, good deal. Yeah, so it's funny, we 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 uh, talked about this probably a, earlier this week with um, you know we were on a conference call with some other people and uh, you know they were looking at deals. They they have a very you know when you have a very specific geographical footprint, more like kind of how your guys' business is set up. Um, building those banking relationships can can allow you to move really really fast on deals, whereas mm-hmm. for us. We have the our geographical footprint is essentially the eastern half of the United States, and it's just impossible for us to build these banking relationships all over the place. And a lot of times, we get the deal under contract, and then we start building the banking relationships, and we're just way behind the power curve. And it it creates a lot of uh, inefficiencies in our business. But um, you know, a lot of a lot of the people that, uh, that we talk with, they've got uh, really a much smaller geographical footprint. They've already got lenders lined up where they get deals lined up. And um, mm-hmm. it's going to allow them to uh, avoid a lot of the stresses of, of having to go chase down lenders, especially in this environment where we've got, you know, quantitative tightening at this point and banks are starting to get a little bit more uh, tight with their money and, and their uh, terms and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, yep. it's definitely a good thing to do. Yep. So I want to ask you guys, um, we're getting pretty close to the time here, and uh, two, two more things I really want to cover um, before before we shut things off for the day is, uh, first one is, what's your long-term strategy? So you guys are still incredibly young. I think, are you both 30 years old? Is, is that correct? Uh, I'm 30. Yeah, and I'm, tw- I'm 27. Okay, so 27, 30, so, so you're still really young guys, got, I mean, many, many you know, years ahead of you. What's your long-term strategy as far as uh, this business? I mean, do you guys see yourselves being up, building up a port, large portfolio and exiting out in 10 years and going to sit on a beach somewhere and just drinking Mai Tais all day long? Or is this something that you guys intend to build into a, a large company that that can maybe even you know grow and uh, be passed down through generations through your family? I mean, wh- where do you foresee yourself? And I know things change, but just right now, what are your future plans? Brian, you want to go first, and I'll, I can follow. Yeah, so I, I really have to credit Tim Ferriss for our work week. The book really changed my life because I was dumping so many hours into my sales job. I was doing well with it, but I just realized I like to talk to people, and I really am fascinated at listening to everybody from a CEO to a janitor, where they're at, where they're going, where they came from, and in 
sales, you get to meet a lot of those folks from top to bottom. And I just realized after hearing enough people what it was that I wanted in my life. And the thing that's probably the most important to me that I heard a lot of people kind of say they regretted was not having time for their family. Mm-hmm. So specifically missing a lot of my sales managers said the, the thing that they regret the most is missing the soccer games and not really having a relationship and in more than just sales, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs too, just missing that time with the family. And that really hit me right in the feels. And so, yeah, it'd be nice to have a private jet and to lay on the beach and drink all sorts of fancy, <laughs> delicious things. But I, the truth is I don't have kids yet, but I know that that's going to be gut wrenching if I'm not there for my child, my future child. So that was the biggest motivator for me. And also, and I think Ian, you'll agree with this part. We're all, we're just workers, man. I mean, last night on the park, I worked from 8am to 9pm. And the only reason why I went home is because it was getting dark. So I, I can't, I can't take more than two or three days off without getting that itch to work and do something. So I'm always going to be working, but if I'm in control, then I can dictate when I take off to go spend time with my kids, when I can do what. So ultimately it's about control and autonomy mm-hmm. and designing my own lifestyle. So from that perspective, that's really my dream and my vision. And, and the mobile home park industry is my medium to get there. There you go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. 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 yeah know, this is, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for it. No, go. You're, you're up. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is Ian. So I, I think, you know, Ryan has pretty defined what he wants personally. And for me, I probably, I'm, in terms of where I see our business going, I, one thing that we are doing is kind of trying to be flexible in the way that we go for it. So it allows us to kind of go the fund route in the next 12 to 24 months if we need to, um, or if we, if we would like to, or if it makes sense with the investment market at that point in time, um, ideally I would like a couple thousand pads, uh, to control and operate and, you know, probably 5,000. I I think it's probably a good number that we'll probably shoot for, Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're staying nimble because that may change. And ideally long-term, I'd like to get into some real estate development as well, but that's a, that's a long-term goal. Mobile home parks is what I'm going to be doing for at least the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Well, I think, um, you know, you spoke to a uh, life work balancer. I think that's incredibly important. And uh, I'm not sure if either one of you guys have families yet, but, uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm like the old guy of our group because I'm the one that has, um, I'm married and have kids. Charles is, Charles has got a very serious, uh, girlfriend and, uh, our other partner Brian does as well. But, um, I'm like at that next stage, I guess <laughs> it's as far as, um, the, the kids and, and the family life and all that. And that's so very important to me. I, I can tell you that I've got a lot of people that are in my life that I've been around for a long time that are, you know, 20 years, my senior that, that, that is their regret. Their regrets, like I, you know, I busted my butt for so many years, and I missed kids' games, and you know, I missed, uh, you know, my, my son's third birthday or whatever it was, and I, and I just vowed as when I married my wife, I vowed that whatever we do, whatever path we we go down when we have kids, I, I promise I, I, that will not happen. 
Like whatever that takes, that will never, ever happen. I'll never be the guy that has that regret. I might have other regrets. I don't know what they are yet, but it, it won't be that I missed out on important things with my family. So I think that's, uh, that's important to, to really put in perspective. And, you know, everyone's got to have a why of why they get into this business or why they get into any business or why they go into any venture, or any partnership together. And just being very clear about that in the beginning and it can change over time, but being very, always being very clear and conscious is, uh, is important because it's really like your, it's like your North star. I mean, it's like, it's the thing that you're following, right? It's, it's why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so, uh, Charles, I, I only had one other question I wanted to ask real quick and I, I don't know if you have anything else you yeah. want to touch on. I know you got to run. So why don't you, if Charles, if you have anything else you wanted to chat about, I, I just want to ask one more question, but you've got to run off the phone here in a few minutes. So go ahead and, uh, if there's anything else you want to throw out there, go for it. Yeah. I'd say um, as far as when you're scaling a big portfolio, like you guys are getting ready to, sounds like you guys are getting ready to, to really shoot for being 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 lots somewhere in that range for the next couple of years. I mean, if I can make a suggestion about, uh, you know, don't be afraid to uh, hire those back office employees even, even before you can necessarily afford them because that really assists you with that life, that life work balance and structuring your uh, management company to where, um, you're not sitting there working hundred hours a week and stuff like that. That's, um, definitely really, really important not to get caught up in the work so much and to, uh, to more or less work on your, on your business more than you work in your business, I guess you'd say, as far as a cliche is concerned. Yeah, that's a great point. And so, so lastly, guys, uh, what I'd like to ask before we say goodbye to one another is, um, you know, tons of new investors out there that are interested in this space um, that are just, you know, either just listening to this podcast for the first time, or maybe they've heard mobile home parks for the grapevine or great investments. And now they're starting to kind of dig in a little bit, put their heels in the sand. They haven't necessarily gone down the path all the way yet. They haven't hit a lot of the struggles that, that we're experiencing being operators today. Um, they haven't hit the struggles of, of being rejected, being told no on the phone, and just all that kind of stuff that happens in order to get get us to where we are today, both of us, all of us that are on this, this call. So what advice would you give to new investors who are looking to break into this business? I mean, what kind of encouraging words of advice would you share with them? Yeah, Ian, let me go first. This is Ryan. So I really have two bits of advice. First, be wary of artificial barriers to entry, most notably fear. It's just an emotion, and a lot of times your worst worries, even when they come to fruition, aren't that big of a deal. And two, I'd like to kind of semi-quote Frank Underwood from House of Cards. There's a really powerful scene, and I believe it was season three, when Claire and the vice president were having a conversation, and none of the options on the table looked good, and then Claire basically mentioned that, hey, when times get tough for Frank Underwood, he looks at all of his options, and if he doesn't like what he sees, he creates his own option. And let me give you a Mm. quick example of that. When I was in high school, I went to Catholic school, and at the time, I thought I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I realized I needed to get the practice in, so I went to my principal and I said, I want to do a stand-up comedy act in front of the whole school. I want to create my own charity event called Stand Up Comedy for Charity. And he looked at me and he was, in so many words, like, son, this is a Catholic school. We've never done anything like this before. And I boldly looked at him and I said, not yet. And I found a way to (laughs) happen. It was not, I went and I organized all of it. And that's just my personality. So my advice is twofold. Number one, if you don't like the options on the table, make your own option. Mm-hmm. 
And number two, be wary of your own emotions. And this is a psych major in me coming out. A lot of your fears are literally just artificial barriers to entry on our second deal, Cherry Valley. We've made a massive error in our due diligence and our worst nightmare kind of came to fruition. But as Tim Ferriss, again, I'll credit him again, what he says in four hour work week is sometimes you have to imagine the worst case scenario. And then when you live it, even just in your own imagination, it's not that big of a deal and you find a way to survive. So those are my two big advices. No, that's fantastic. This is e- Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, this is Ian. Basically, what we've learned is you can listen, and this is not to discredit what you guys do because you guys gave us so much value and so much information. We listened to all your podcasts, and you really got us in this business. But there's only so much information you can consume. Uh, before you have to go out and make your own mistakes. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whatever you take in, this is not to say to be you know, financially irresponsible and just go invest before you really know what you're doing, but get out there sooner than you think you probably need to. Um, if you've been listening to information for a year, it's probably time to get started. And also too, for example, I'll, I'll give a little bit of detail on what Ryan was saying. And so we made a large due diligence there on our second park that we made. Uh, basically we have a large water leak that we just, we just totally missed in due diligence. Right. And so, uh, I just didn't do the calculation correctly for the parks. And so our, our units are running at like 12,000 gallons a month, which is like three, three times what they should be. Right. And so we're eating like $10,000 a year in terms of water expense. So we had this massive, miss and due diligence that was you know my fault that i have to take full responsibility for but we bought it cheap enough that we'll still be able to recover even after replacing these water lines right and so i guess the 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 thing here and we have a very understanding investor so even though everything didn't go according to plan a lot of things didn't go according to plan it's still we're still in a position that we can still buy parks we're closing on one next week it looks, sounds like we have another one in talks that we should be putting under contract, but we just keep on moving forward. And uh, you take, everyone's going to take their licks, takes their jabs as a boxing ring. Right. But if you can kind of just continue to come back, continue to stand up, things are usually work out in your favor. Fantastic. That's awesome guys. Thank you so much. And uh, Charles, are you still there with us? Oh, Charles had to drop off the phone, so I knew he had to go at nine o'clock. But uh, guys, really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show and sharing your experiences thus far. Again, you guys are only two years into the business, a year since you bought your first park, and you guys are just kicking butt. So just keep doing what you're doing. And for those that are out there uh, that, that are listening to the show and you want to learn more about Ian and Ryan and their business, you can go to their website, archimedesgroup.com. That's A-R-C-H-I-M-E-D-E-S-G-R-P.com. Did I get that right, guys? Was that right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Good deal. Good deal. And they're both very active on LinkedIn as well. So you can go um, uh, find them on LinkedIn and, and again, just read about their their business if you want to reach out to them. I know you guys are very, very open guys and you're looking to help others that are you know in, in this business. I know that that's a cool thing about this industry. I think you guys have experienced the same thing is that 
you put yourself out there, this business is a very friendly business with meaning the other operators, other owner and operators out there. It's not, there's some people that are close vested about things, but for the most part, most people are very open and willing to help. And it's just a, it's a very tight knit community. I mean, once you get into this business, you start realizing that it's very, very small and you get to know all the other bigger operators and most of them are pretty cool people and, uh, and, and just want to help and want to see this industry succeed as a whole. And did you guys, have you guys felt the same thing being in this business? Absolutely. I have no, no, no reason to be here, Kevin. I have no experience, no money. <laughs> and two years later, we've got about $14 million worth of assets, 700 pads, give or take, and we're yep. rocking and rolling. Yep. So there are really, like you guys said in your last podcast, there are no excuses. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. And guys, that's all we have for today's episode. But uh, before we uh, hang up and say goodbye, I just want to remind you that free gift that Charles and I give out um, for those that leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Uh, if you want the cold call script that we use, as you heard here, that Ryan and Ian, they, they cold call. They, they literally cold call park owners. And that's how they landed this most recent deal, which is a 500-plus a uh, space park. And so if you want the cold call script that we use in our very own business, Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, and what you'll have to do to redeem that gift from us is just literally shoot us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Just tell us who you are and what screen name that you use to leave that review. And we'll send you a copy of the cold call script that we use in our very own business. And uh, you can also go by the Mobile Home Park Academy website at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. You can listen to all the previous podcast shows. I think we're up to like 78 or 79 now. So hours and hours and hours of information about this business. Um, if you're just getting started, maybe you're already a seasoned investor, I'm sure you can find some great information in our previous shows. Also download a, a copy of our popular ebook. It's free. It's called the, the 21 Biggest Mistakes Investors Make When Purchasing Their First Park and How to Avoid Them. And um, yeah, that's a required one. If you're just getting into this business, get in there and read it. It's a simple read. It's very quick. Um, after you're done reading that, go back and listen to all the podcasts and uh, you'll probably know a good bit by the time you're done with all that and, and probably have close enough knowledge to actually go out and start actually looking at deals and buying your first park. So um, but that's all we have for today, guys. Ryan and Ian, it's, again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, you take care and have an awesome week, guys. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.